wish everybody a happy Divine Mercy Sunday. I think I've probably told this story before, but I was very blessed to be able to be there in Rome whenever John Paul II in the year 2000 canonized Faustina. Uh, it was packed mostly with people from Poland. So of course, John Paul II was from Poland. I was there with a priest friend of mine. I was the deacon at the time. It's a beautiful day. And I remember John Paul II was giving his homily. He gives it in Italian and can be kind of long and boring, but I was doing my best to pay attention. And I thought I heard in the context of the homily, the Pope said, that I now, or from now on, the second Sunday of uh, Easter will be considered Divine Mercy Sunday per the request of Jesus to Faustina. And no one said anything. So I looked at the guy, the priest next to me, I said, did you hear what I hear, heard? He goes, yeah, I think you just declared it officially Divine Mercy Sunday. But because it was in Italian and most of the people there spoke Polish, no one heard or understood. So the Pope sort of caught that and then said in Polish that it was the Feast of Divine Mercy. And those Poles went nuts, <laughs> lost their mind. Now, of course, all the English speakers there had no idea what was going on. They probably thought they won the World Cup or something. I don't know. Uh, but then afterwards, we sort of explained to other people. It was just sort of amazing to be there as John Paul II declared the Divine Mercy Feast. That's not what we're going to talk about today. As some of you know, I went on vacation this week with some priests to the beach. So there I was, staring out into the gulf, drinking my little drink, watching the waves come in. And as I off do, began to sort of meditate and reflect. And these waves made me think of the writing and thought of the Polish sociolo sociologist Zygmunt Bymond. Most of you haven't heard of him, but famous, particularly in the past 25 years in certain circles, for his writing on what he calls liquid modernity. This is why you don't go on vacation with me. I'm going to start thinking about philosophy. <laughs> I should be reading a Nicholas Sparks novel. But what is the basic part of his thought? And he notices that unlike other generations gone by that had a certain solidity to it because things moved so slow. Time and space was interconnected. Ideas, institutions were solid. The course of the past 100, 150 years is a result of a number of different changes. We have seen those solid institutions liquefy and become very movable, very inconsistent. In fact, the thing that marks out most of our existence today is liquidity. Things are never solid. They're always moving, changing, shifting. It's hard for us to find an anchor in the world around us, whether it be philosophy or our political structures, our understanding of what a certain institution is, even the family. Changes, things move, our understanding of what the church is, who Christ is. We live in a very liquid existence. You can read more of this philosophy to understand what he's saying. And it began making me think on this quality and certain other qualities 
that our contemporary culture, postmodernism, if you will, is marked out by. Now, I want to sort of go over those in order to be able to flesh out our thought a little bit. The first, as I said, that our world today, our culture, tends to be more liquid than solid, tends to be moving, shifting, changing, like the waves always coming in, hard to get a grasp on. And so we can often feel very disoriented or discombobulated. We don't know what the truth is. We don't know what meaning is in the world. The second thing we can notice, and it's something that I've talked about, in our world, the subjective tends to trump and be more important the, uh, than the objective. What is the objective? The objective is things that exist outside of ourselves, outside of our minds, outside of our feelings. This altar is objectively present. I don't care what I think. I can think it's a cow, and it's not. Reality is there, objectively. My subjective feelings are important, but the fact is we've moved to where the interior state, what one feels, is all that matters. Reason, objective truth, that's not important, but this expressive individualism, this is what I feel the truth to be. This is who I am, and so the subjective, which often tends to be emotional, tends to trump the objective. That's why it's very difficult to have discussions about things. Because what people feel tends to be the arbiter of the truth rather than objective reality that exists outside of them. And third and finally, and this is one that should be all very apparent to us, we as a culture tend to value the virtual over the real. We're always in front of our screens. We are having things portrayed to us. The internet, the cell network is important to our lives. We couldn't exist without it. But the fact is, if you think about it, the internet doesn't exist. You can't see the internet. It's just a bunch of connections and computers all over the world. But yet, this is what guides most of our existence. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's very easy for us to get caught in this virtual reality of screens and projected images rather than grounded in the reality in front of us person who's in front of us, the situation in which we find ourselves. And so we, because things tend to be moving so much and liquid, we become anxious. We're so caught up in our inner world rather than the objective reality, we want to get out of reality. There's this trajectory, this attempt to escape. So we have recourse to mind-altering substances, to vegging out on Netflix, whatever it takes to help us escape reality. But the fact is, we as Christians, we as Catholics, need to be grounded in reality. We need a solid existence. We need objective truth and reality. So how do we do that? In a world that is so liquid and shifting, and one that is so virtual, how do we ground ourselves in reality? And I'm going to propose that we all know exactly how to do this. It is something that all of us have with ourselves every second of the day, whether we're awake or we're asleep, whether we're paying attention to what's going on around us or not. And that 
fact that grounds us in reality, that reality is our body. We all have bodies. We are our bodies. There's nothing you can do about it. We talked about several months ago the givenness of the body. We cannot like our bodies, but we can't go exchange it for another body. We got what we had. We can make little changes here and there, but the fact of the matter is we are given our bodies. And our body grounds us in reality in a certain place, in a certain time, in a certain location. But that body also has certain limits built in within it. Pain is a limit. We may want to do something, but we can't go further because it hurts too much. It reminds us that we are living in reality. Can't do whatever we want. Even pleasure is a limiting experience. Why? Because we can experience pleasure, but we never are satiated. We always want more. We can be left lacking. Entropy, the fact that we are always getting older. Our bodies are falling apart. We're not 25 anymore when we're 50, even though we think we are. Another great limit written into our bodies is the fact is that our own existence, we never fully experience what it means to be human. Why? Because there's always another way of being human. If I am a male, biologically, with my chromosomes, having male gametes, I will never know what it's like to be a woman in a biologically female body with female gametes and with female chromosomes. My existence is limited. I never know the entirety of what it means to be human in a sexually differentiated species. And so we can have our science and our medicine and our technology, all of these things are good. They can help us, in a certain sense, overcome certain limits, but there is one limit that we're not going to be able to overcome by anything that we do or we come up with, and that is the ultimate limit, death. We want to be grounded in reality. One day, each and every one of us is going to die. It's a reality check. We have to come to terms with it. But as Christians, what are we celebrating all the time, and particularly in the past eight days? We are celebrating the fact that even though our body grounds us in reality, that death limits our experience, Jesus, the Son of God, died and rose to life, conquering death, never to die again. That that limit has been overcome in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so what we see in today's gospel is the ultimate encounter with reality. It's the apostles, particularly Thomas's encounter, not with their body, but with the risen, perfected, glorified body of Jesus. It's the ultimate reality check. He's not a ghost. There is a real body there, a way of existing that in a certain sense is the same as it was three days before the resurrection, but now Christ exists in a new way, a perfected way, one that our minds cannot fully begin to grasp. It's like a fourth dimension coming into a third dimensional world. That's how Christ's body exists. 
But yet, we can still touch it. We can still see it. We can have an experience of it. The resurrected body in the world of Christ is the really real. And it's not what you would have expected. You read all the myths of the dying and rising God. Most of the time, they die and they don't rise, A. B, if they do rise, they don't have a body. And if they do rise and have a body, it's not going to be there all of the time. They're going to shed the body and go back to their spectral form. But really, in that body that might have been risen from the dead, there are no scars in it. That's what's interesting. Jesus' body was perfected, but he still has the scars. It makes us think, whoa, what goes on in the world, what goes on in reality matters not just in this life, but in the life to come. That somehow what happens to us, what we do is what done to us that remains in our bodies lasts into eternity. That has, that smacks of reality, not of a myth. That remnants of our earthly existence will continue in our risen bodies. But Thomas experiences this. He comes, he feels it. And he gives us the testimony of it through the Gospel of John. But we say, well, Father, we're going to die. We haven't been able to touch Jesus. But we believe that Christ is the first fruits. That his rising from the dead is the first fruits that we will too share in that resurrection one day. Our bodies after death, we will be reunited with our souls and perfected and glorified as Christ's body is. The really real. But that isn't just something that happens in the future. It's something we can experience today because we've been baptized. If you've been baptized, you've been born, baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are living now the resurrection today. Eternal life has broken into the world. This is what we're called to do, to live this existence. And that's the great mystery. Fine, we were not there 2,000 years ago, but we live today. And the fact that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus and be that we share in that right now, we share in the eternal life, reminds us that as much as we need to be in touch with reality, the physical world around us, there is something metaphysical that lies beyond the physical world. That's something that those who do not believe can't understand. They see a body, and all they see is biological mass, res extensa, whatever you want to call it. But we say there's something beyond that body. There's a soul, there's a mind, there's a spiritual dimension. There's the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just in the body, but in all of creation. Sings the praise of God. It's what we call that sacramental view. That we should be able to look at other bodies, other persons, with the world around us and say, oh, this came from somewhere. There's a power that lies beyond the visible world. There is a mystery that we can encounter and touch. That all of creation, and particularly the human body, even more so the risen body of Jesus, is revelatory tells us about God, but the thing is, we've got to pay attention. But if we are caught up in our liquid existence, if we are so mired in our subjective feelings, if we are living in a virtual world and not grounded in reality, we're going to miss it. And our lives will not have that weight, that beauty that comes 
from encountering mystery. The challenge that we face today in a world that I believe will continue to lose touch with reality, will continue to become more liquid rather than solid, we are going to have to live as Christians and Catholics more solid existences, grounded in reality. It is going to become kind of countercultural. But this is the message of Easter. I was also, in conclusion, on the beach reflecting on Polish sociologists. But as some of you might imagine, because if you listen to my preaching over the course of the Triduum, I wasn't reading any kind of like John Grisham. I was reading some, some essays from Flannery O'Connor. Very enjoyable. People are probably thinking, what is that priest? You know when you walk past, you look at what people are reading? Why is he reading a book with a peach and a snake on it? But the essay that really struck me, that really sort of launched me into thinking about this, is one where she talks about the nature and aim of fiction. As I was reading it, I realized she's not just talking about writing novels and writing fiction. She's talking about being Catholic. And she says that if we write fiction, novels, the purpose of the novels is to not give a bunch of ideas, to be very abstract. Novels need to be solid. Novels need to be grounded in characters, in places, in situation, and reality. And the more real they are, the more the mystery is going to shine through. And that what we need as readers, as humans, as Catholics, is to be able to learn how to read, to see beyond reality, to see the mystery. This is a wonderful quote. She says, the type of mind that can understand good fiction is not necessarily the educated mind. You don't need to have a great vocabulary. But it is at all times the kind of mind that is willing to have its sense of mystery deepened by contact with reality and its sense of reality deepened by its contact with mystery. This is what we're called to do. As we become more grounded in our bodies, more grounded in the reality of the resurrection, even though we're like Thomas, we want to see, but we don't get to put our fingers in the Lord's side, but we do get to put our fingers in reality, our mind and the world around us and the situations that we live in, and the concrete existence, solid life. And from that, just as Thomas was able to see my Lord and my God, we should be able to perceive the existence of a God who entered into death, vanquished it to rise to new life, to help us share in that great mystery, the mystery of eternal life present in our world today. Amen.